Hi and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sonia Thomas. I'm Sarah Jordan. And I'm Gavin Cooper. Hi and welcome to episode four of the podcast. We're going to be putting out a couple of shortened podcasts over the next couple of weeks, just about 10 or 15 minutes each one. For this one, we've recorded previously a fantastic episode on MDS with Beth Payne. We put that out a few months ago, and we've been looking for an opportunity to put out this additional part of our conversation. We initially asked Beth to explain diamond black fan anemia, but subsequently our conversation then touched on her lab work with zebrafish, uh, how genes can be knocked in and out, what is CRISPR-Cas9 and how does it work, and finally how viruses can infect bacteria. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this? Diamond black fan anemia, yeah. Yeah. There, there is a relationship between diamond black fan anemia and maladysplastic syndrome, which is kind of, I don't know which way around it came. I think I started with MDS and ended up on diamond black fan anemia. But diamond black fan anemia is an inherited disorder and it affects usually children within the first year of life and they present with profound anemia, so you know, hemoglobin is of like two. And it's caused by a genetic mutation in a ribosomal protein gene. Ribosomes are your kind of protein-making factory, so it's thought that the protein-making factory isn't able to make certain types of protein properly. Red blood cells seem to be particularly susceptible to that, and so red blood cells die early in their production. And so the kids are fine in utero, although occasionally it's diagnosed in utero, but very shortly after they're born, when they change production of one kind of haemoglobin to another kind of haemoglobin, they just don't make any haemoglobin at all. They can be very responsive to steroids. So most children are treated with steroids, but about half of them will end up being blood transfusion dependent. The other interesting thing about it, you know, I said it was kind of related to MDS, so these ribosomal protein genes, one of those ribosomal protein genes is on chromosome 5Q. And it's probably the main thing that makes you anemic if you've got myelodysplastic syndrome with loss of 5Q. So if you look at all of the genes that are in that bit of chromosome 5Q and you're not mole down, the one that has the most profound effect on your red blood cells is the ribosomal protein that's on chromosome 5Q. So that's why I said they're kind of related. And patients with diamond black anemia also have an increased risk of developing myelodysplastic syndrome. Again, it's still quite a low risk, but nonetheless... As we get kind of better at keeping these people alive, because they're transfusion dependent and they now have X jade instead of you know, so they're they're transfusion dependent anemias, their risk of MDS is 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 real, and they die from their MDS because they tend to get quite aggressive MDS. The other thing that's really interesting about patients with diamond black fan anemia is they get spontaneous remissions, so that yes. makes it quite difficult to treat them because some patients are transplanted when they're children if they have very severe disease or they're not able to tolerate an iron collator very well. So there are various factors that might push you towards thinking of transplant. But again, obviously transplant comes with its inherent mortality and these are children. And they also potentially have spontaneous remissions. And it can happen in adulthood as well. So there's, there's one of the adult patients eh, who's been on transfusions her entire life has stopped needing transfusion. Oh, wow. And I guess that skews data as well. I mean, if you're trying to do a trial with small exactly. numbers and exactly. small words, you just get better, not because of what you did, but just spontaneously. So actually, interestingly, so when I was in America and I was first studying this, so we use zebrafish to study blood diseases in my lab. So we took one of these ribosomal proteins and we knocked it down in this little zebrafish. And 
because ribosomes are like this protein making factory, we know that the amino acid leucine is what like bodybuilders like to sort of stock up on because it really builds your muscle bulk, builds your protein bulk. So we gave leucine to these little zebrafish and they started making more blood. So somebody's done a clinical trial in America on, on diamond black pananemia patients and they do seem to respond to this, just an amino acid. So there's lots of possible reasons for that, but they didn't all respond. And again, there's this sort of, well... Did they or was it just a random... Remission? I mean, the spontaneous remissions are rare. I think it probably is a real effect. Yeah. But the other thing that they said in this clinical study, which was kind of what we saw in our little fish, so when you knock down these ribosomal protein in, in the fish, if you knock it down too far, the fish really don't like it. You can imagine if you can't make any protein, it's you, that, that's the end, right? You're yeah. not going to survive that. So these patients have heterozygous mutations, so they're still making some normal ribosomal proteins, so they still have normal function in most of their cells. But when we gave them leucine, they they looked better. They just looked healthy. They grew better. Fish, fish, listen. But this, apparently the same thing happened in the kids. Oh, wow. like they all felt better. They grew a bit more. You know, so it's... And the, the, the growth, is that is that a part of so the disease? So short stature is part of the disease. Right. And is yeah. that because of the steroids to treat children initially? I think it's both. I and think the, there is the steroid effect, but I think, it, I think it's actually the disease itself. So mice that have even lost one copy of a ribosomal protein are, are little. In fact, I think that there's a whole family. Before, like before people knew how to knock out genes... People randomly knocked out genes and then looked for phenotypes. So there's a whole family of flies called the minutes, and the minutes have ribosomal protein mutations. Yeah. So they're small, yeah. basically. Right. How do you knock down genes? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Is this what okay. you do in your lab? Well, we, we do it, yeah, yeah, we do. We do it in a couple <laughs> of different ways, but the thing that's probably most exciting to the kind of patient arena is CRISPRs. So, have you heard of CRISPRs? No. Okay. Right. Have you? Gavin, no. Gavin's yeah. not. No, he's, he's making What's out. What's it to do with cartilage? <laughs> he doesn't matter. No, he's done this before, shot? then he's no. like... Yeah, okay, so I'll explain okay. what a yeah, CRISPR yeah, no, is. I have no right. idea. Okay. <laughs> so, what a CRISPR is, it's basically like a protein that's a set of genetic scissors. Right? So, it's a protein that can cut DNA. Right? But you need the protein to be at the bit of DNA that you're interested in cutting and able to knock out the gene that you're interested in. So, the CRISPR, it's called CRISPR-Cas9, but there are other Cas proteins. And you need this protein, which is the Cas9, it's genetic scissors. And then you need something that takes that protein to the bit of DNA that you're interested in. So that's done using an RNA that is designed to match the bit of DNA that you're interested in. And then stuck on the end of that is this kind of scaffold it's like a scaffold protein that, that brings in the scissors. And then the scissors cuts the DNA where you've told it to. And then... Wow. In, in yeah, that does sound quite clever. It is cool, isn't it? It's, it's sort of pinched from bacteria as well. It's, it's, okay. uh, it's hijacked from this system that bacteria have for getting rid of viruses that they don't want. Wow. So you cut the DNA with the scissors. Now, in all of our cells, that's happening all the time. Like sunlight, smoking, whatever is causing DNA damage, bits of our DNA to be chopped, and it's not meant to happen. So all of our cells have got a very robust system in which to repair that. So when you chop the DNA, the first thing that happens is uh, your 
body your, tries to your make cells it say, ah, there's a bit of DNA that's broken and they try and fix it. So there are two ways in which, well, lots of ways in which you can fix it, but there are two main ways in which you can fix it. One is called non-homologous end joining. So that means it sticks it back together quickly as best it can and it makes mistakes. So that's how you knock out a gene, is you cut it with a crisper and then it sticks itself back together and it accidentally chubs in a couple of extra nucleotides. And so instead of making the protein, it, it truncates it and it doesn't work. So that's a knockout. Now there's something called a knock-in. Let's say, for example, something that you've all heard of MPM1. So our AML patients have MPM1 mutations and that's a good risk mutation. So MPM1 mutations are very have a very specific function. They take the MPM gene and they move it out of the nucleus into the cytoplasm. So that's how it works, is it, it puts the protein in the wrong place. And the way it does that is that it puts in four nucleotides that shouldn't be there, where there is usually a signal that says, keep me in the nucleus. So it shoves it out of the nucleus. So if you wanted to make this particular abnormality, you have to knock in that specific mutation. It has to be exactly that one. And that requires a process called homologous recombination or homology-directed repair. So that, in that situation, instead of just randomly sticking stuff in, like broken, I better stick stuff in there, you have to tell it what to put in there. So you give it a kind of template and you say, hey, look here, here, this is what you should have, this is what you should have. And then you hope that it sees the thing that you've put in. And there are ways in which you can encourage the cell to see what you've put in. And then replicate it. And then replicate it. <laughs> Easy, easy, yeah. Easy, yeah, easy. that sounds wow. yeah. Uh, really, really simple. <laughs> it is, okay. Is that, yeah. Okay. So I guess the thing that... <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so the thing, right, the thing that that's been used for, because it it's been used clinically, not quite the same technology, but virtually the same technology, for all intents and purposes, the same sort of technology. So for, um, for ALL, CAR T-cells, one of the issues is that the T-cells have a T-cell receptor, which is specific to the patient. And so that can cause the cells to be destroyed or rejected. They took something like a CRISPR and they knocked out the T-cell receptor. And then they gave the cells to the patient without the, So they had basically removed the thing that the cells would be rejected by. So you could essentially just have a product that was off the shelf instead of having to take That's some cells from a patient mm -hmm. and then men modify them. So it was a kind, it's like a universal CAR T cell type thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's what this little girl had a couple of years ago. Leila in the newspapers had the CAR T cells, got to transplant. It's a kind of bridging to transplant. So that was a like total revolutionized. Mm the way in which we can modify cells that might go into human patients. Bacteria can get viruses. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> hold, hold on. Oh. <laughs> what now? Oh, yeah. But, so it is really interesting because viruses work in, well, they work in, in different ways. So you get RNA viruses, you get DNA virus, and you get retroviruses. So the retroviruses are like the HIV virus, and the way that works is it integrates into your genome. So you, it becomes part of you, essentially, in the cells in which it's uh, been integrated. That's the sort of virus that these bacteria get. So the, the virus is really good at hijacking the genome that's mm. in the vicinity. And it, it, even the ones that don't integrate hijack the cell's machinery. So they're just bits of DNA or RNA that kind of get into a cell and then they're like, oh, well, I'll have a bit of your ribosome and a bit of your this and a bit of your that and I'll use it. And then once I'm done with you and you've realised that I'm 
actually hideous and your your body's managed to get rid of me, then I'll move on to the next guy. So that's how these systems have evolved in bacteria. Is that the virus has come to try and hijack it by using its systems, and the bacteria has developed a system in which to say that's a virus, and then just chop that bit of DNA out. It's quite wow. cool, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> you sort of wonder why we haven't evolved that. Yeah, right. Function. Maybe we have, we just haven't discovered it yet. It's all getting a bit deep, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right.